Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Jesus, thank you for this great morning, the body of Christ, to be, to be able to stand with brothers and sisters in Christ together singing your praises, knowing that it brings joy to you. It comes to you as a fragrant aroma. To be part of that brings joy to my heart, and I know it does to our family here in Christ. God, we are so thankful that you've given us this privilege of knowing each other in Christ and celebrating together like this. And I pray as we dive into the words that you've given to us to feed us, I pray that you would lead our thoughts and lead our minds and lead our hearts in the Scripture. We know that you've spoken to us, and this is the revelation of God that is our counselor, that is our leader in this world. By the power of the Spirit, you allow us to understand it and to know the truth. So we ask you, God, to lead our thoughts and lead our conclusions in the way we apply this in our life. Pray that your name will be glorified through your church, the body of Christ in this world. And I pray that you would use Rosemont Baptist Church in a special way as we seek to be obedient to you and go forward for the gospel. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Excuse me, not Exodus. Genesis chapter 20. My mind's in Exodus uh, the past uh, several weeks with our students. We're walking through the book of Exodus on Wednesday nights, and so that's why it's a Freudian slip, I guess. So Genesis chapter 20. Uh, We'd love to uh, kind of continue in this Bible study that uh, Pastor Adam's been walking us in, uh, in the book of Genesis. He's kind of been leading us through the life of Abraham, God's call in Abraham's life, and he's walked through uh, Abraham's nephew Lot and uh, kind of the tragedy that has taken place in that story, and we're going to kind of come out of that and walk into some more of Abraham's life. So there's some really exciting things I'd love for you guys to take a look at. Before we do, I would like to invite you to continue to pray for our, uh, our team that it was in Asia this past week, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're on their way home today, so please keep praying for them as they come home. Uh, I believe they're pretty much off the field, but um, uh, they should be arriving sometime this afternoon, uh, and uh, we need to just keep praying them all the way home that God would give them safe travels. And uh, most importantly, we need to pray that the seeds that were planted and the encouragement that was given to those missionaries on the field, God would continue to feed. And God would continue to water and provide growth for. Uh, we don't, it's not just about going and coming home. It's about what we start and what God does through us and will continue to do after we're gone. Because um, that's what we're working for. So please keep praying for Asia and what God's doing there. Um, so Genesis, or Genesis chapter 20, we'd love to, uh, I'd love to take a look at Abraham and Abraham's life of faith. But I'd like to start by reading from you, reading for you Hebrews chapter 11. 
uh, a little section about Abraham. This is what we typically call the faith chapter in the Bible. We turn to that because many times we want to get some great examples of what it looks like to live by faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we see many examples of faith. And uh, this is a kind of a a recap, a summary of Abraham's life. And there's a lot of verses there, but I'd like to read to you verses 8 through 10 for a moment. It says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now this is all about Abraham and his life of faith. And if you keep reading in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, you see a lot of people and their decisions to walk by faith. There's some interesting things he mentions right there in Hebrews um, that I'd like to point out to you as you begin because I feel like we can relate to Abraham in so many ways. First of all, God called Abraham much like he has called us to follow him and to obey him. And Abraham obeyed by faith, much like we have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. Most, most of us in this room have decided at some point in our lives to follow Jesus Christ by faith in obedience. So Abraham was called, he obeyed by faith, but it says that he was living in a land as an alien, and it was a land of promise. Now God brought him to uh, the, the promised land, uh, the land of the Canaanites and the, um, the, the Philistines and, the, and all of the people that were living in those lands. And God brought him into that land. Um, and it was a promised land, but he was an alien there. He was not really a citizen of that land. But he was looking forward to something bigger, much, much, much like we are today. God calls us aliens in this world. We are citizens of the United States of America. Most, most of us are probably patriotic about them, very proud of that fact. And that is true. But ultimately, we are aliens in this world because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We have been transplanted from being citizens of this world to being citizens of the kingdom of God. And we look forward to something that is more eternal than even the United States of America. And so he says this, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. They were dwelling in temporary tents made by hands, much like we dwell in our homes that are very temporary and made by hands. But it says in verse 10, he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So all the while, even though God was moving him into the promised land which was a geographical location on our planet, he was looking for something that was even more eternal than that geographical location. So God was doing something really big in Abraham's life, and by faith he obeyed, much like we do. But as you see in the life of Abraham, he struggled to live by that faith. He had faith in his God, He walked by faith in his God, but many days he struggled to live by that faith in his God, much like we do. We believe in God. We believe in the promises of God. We believe in what God has told us and the salvation that he's given to us. But many times when we hit difficult situations in life, we struggle to follow through with our faith. 
We struggle to continue to fear God because we begin to fear man more than we fear God. So what I'd like to do is give you the first truth that that we're going to study today, and that is that living by faith requires the fear of God. Living by faith requires the fear of God. In Exodus or Genesis chapter 20, we see another example of how Abraham struggled to live by faith because he struggled to fear God. Um, in Exodus chapter 20, um, you guys are going to have to forgive me because I'm going to say that way too many times today. Genesis chapter 20, verse 1. Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he sojourned in Gerar. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Okay, now we've heard this story before. If you've been with us, we've learned, you, you probably remember that when Abraham and his family journeyed into Egypt, he met Pharaoh. And one of the things that he did with Pharaoh was that he told Pharaoh that Sarah, his wife, was actually his sister. So Pharaoh thought she was beautiful, and of course he took her to be his wife because he thought she was single. And um, uh, the reason Abraham did this was because he was afraid that Pharaoh, who was powerful, and um, could do whatever he wanted, uh, would look at Abraham and see that his wife was beautiful. And because he was married, he was just going to kill Abraham and take Sarah to be his wife. And so Abraham was afraid of that, and he lied. And we saw the consequences of that because he was afraid of man. And then, just like we do many times, we step out of the will of God and we do something that we know that we shouldn't do, and we learn the hard way, and we encounter consequences, and, and we learn through our mistakes, but sometimes, unfortunately, we come up against the exact same situation, and then we make the exact same decision that we made the first time, incurring more consequences. And so then we learned that um, later on in the story, we see that God gives this promise to Abraham and says, Abraham, uh, or his name was Abram, Abram, you and your wife Sarai, I am going to bless you and I'm going to multiply your family. Your children are going to outnumber the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. And Abraham um, is looking at God saying, I don't know how you're going to do that because we're getting pretty old and we don't have any kids yet. And so Sarai goes to Abram and says, here's what I want you to do. Um, this maidservant that you took out of Egypt, I want you to have a child by her. And so Abram does. He compromises what he knows is right. He doesn't trust in the promises of God. In that moment, even though he believes in God, he doesn't trust in the promises of God. He compromises his faith and he has a child by Hagar and his name was Ishmael. And uh, so then we know that there were some severe consequences that came as a result of that situation. Uh, And then we come up into this chapter, chapter 20, where Abraham is... Now his name is Abraham, and his wife's name is Sarah. They're now moved into the promised land, a totally different land, and they come up to Abimelech, and Abimelech, he sees Abimelech and thinks the exact same thing about Abimelech that he thought about the Pharaoh, and so he lied to Abimelech and said, this is my sister. This is a great stand-up guy, right? And uh, so he says, this is my sister, and so um, the story in a nutshell is that Abimelech took her to be his wife, and he took her into his house, um, and God met with Abimelech in the middle of the night and said, Abimelech, he said, you are not to touch that woman, and you need to get, give her back and make this right, because as, that, as of right now, 
If you go any further, you are a dead man. That's essentially what God said to Abimelech. And so Abimelech wakes up in the morning and he gathers all of his servants together and says, hey, we got to fix this problem. Something's wrong here. We got these visitors in our country and I took this woman to be my wife. This is not right. God met with me in a dream, said he was going to kill me, so we need to fix this. And so then he gets Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, we got a problem. And uh, verse 8 in chapter 20, so Abimelech arose early in the morning, called his servants and told called his servants and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were greatly frightened. Verse 9, then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us, and how have I sinned against you that you've brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abraham, or Abimelech said to Abraham, what have you encountered that you've done this thing? So basically Abimelech said, what have you seen in me that makes, me th- that makes you think that you have to lie to me to be safe? What have I done? What have I shown you that makes you think that you have to lie to me? And Abraham said, this was his response in verse 11. Abraham said, because I thought, surely there's no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, and here's an excuse he makes. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is the kindness which you will show to me everywhere we go. Save me. He's my brother. And so Abraham says, okay, I, got, I got a good reason for this, but here's the reason. I knew that the people in this land do not fear God, and as a result, because you don't fear God, you're probably going to kill me and try to take my wife. And so that was his reasoning. But you have to see what Abraham did in this moment. He was afraid, because of their lack of fear of God, that they were going to sin against him. So his response in that situation was to sin against them because he had a lack of fear of God. And so he committed the same crime that he was afraid that Abimelech was going to commit. And so in this moment, it was a compromising situation where or it really wasn't, he wasn't even put in a tight spot. He just was afraid. He had a, a, a scenario that came into his mind and into his thoughts that might happen And as a result of what he thought might happen, he chose to commit a sin and compromise what he knew was right, and he chose not to live and walk in the fear of God. And one thing that I feel like is true about all of humanity is that people always fear something. And if we don't fear God, all the other fears will just completely destroy us. And that's exactly what was happening to Abraham time after time after time. His fear and his doubt and his uncertainty was destroying him and his family. And God begins to kind of teach him that he needs to continue to trust and fear God. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, this is an example of the power of God. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So recognizing that God is not mocked, and we reap what we sow, there is a severity to being obedient to God that as Christians, if we're going to live by faith and walk by faith, we need to take seriously. I don't know, most everybody has seen pictures 
uh, watched movies or videos or whatever of, uh, and you've seen great mountain uh, landscape. And you've seen a huge picture, maybe a picture of Mount Everest um, or a picture of, uh, I, li- I used to live in the Northwest up in Washington State and um, got to see Mount St. Helens up close and Mount Rainier up close and, um, and magnificent mountains. You know, we might see a picture of them and you, and you see these, you know, they kind of are inspiring sometimes when you think of the magnificence of God. But when you actually go there, some of you know what I'm talking about, if you've actually been to the base of a really large mountain and you look up, it's different than what it looks like in the picture. All of a sudden, you have a a renewed awe and awareness of just how magnificent that rock is that you're standing below. And then, if you were to actually climb to the top of it and look down, you would realize just how small and tiny all the rest of civilization is. And I think many times, we read the Bible, or we come to church, and we listen to stories about God, and we get this great picture about how big God is, and about how awesome God is, and about how magnificent God is. But sometimes, many of us have not actually been to the base of that mountain, and truly looked up at the awesomeness, and holiness, and righteousness of God. And that comes only from seeking God, and drawing close to God, and becoming aware of what truly strikes the fear of God in our hearts. And you know, one thing I think that drives people to fear so many times is the unknown, the uncertain. And we fear what we don't know, we fear what we think, we fear what we can conjure up in our minds, and it scares us. And many times, I think we have drawn a conclusion about God that we understand, we've gotten, we feel like we've gotten our heads wrapped around God for the most part, and we understand and we can make sense out of Him for ourselves, and that's enough for us. And so we completely have lost sight of the fact that there are some things about God that are unknown to us and should probably terrify us. There are some things about God that are magnificent and holy. If you remember the example of the people of God in the desert, later on in this story, after they've been set free from slavery and they were standing at the base of Mount Sinai, Sinai and they saw the glory of God descending like a cloud upon that mountain and There was thunder and there was lightning and there was smoke and there was fire and the terror of God struck fear in the hearts of the people, struck fear in the heart of Moses. But even in the midst of that, they lost sight of it. And you can imagine a guy like Lot who was raised to believe in the God of Abraham but wound up in a land where he completely lost sight of who God really was. And the more we walk in sin and the more we walk in the mire of this world, the more we walk away from God and go day to day without drawing close to God, I think we more and more we lose sight of the fear of God and more and more we find ourselves doing things like Abraham and compromising our faith and compromising what's right and wrong in difficult situations because we've completely lost sight of who God is. But there's more to that story Not just the fact that God punishes those who sin, but also God keeps his promises. The second uh, truth that I'd love for you to see is that God does as he says and God does as he promises and that gives us hope. And that gives us a balanced perspective of who God is because God is sometimes a terrible God who executes justice and judgment on those who sinned against him. But God is also a God who keeps his promises and does what he promises, keeps and does what he says and and he loves and forgives and gives grace and gives mercy. And so we see that story fu- fulfilled in chapter 21. 
So after Abraham goes to this situation with Abimelech, then we see in chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah, as he had promised. So right there we see God beginning to fulfill what he'd already said that he was going to do. If you were to back up to Genesis chapter 17, you'd see an example of where God explained to Abraham what he said he was going to do. In chapter 17, verse 15, God said, or God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram, Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So there's the promise of God. God says, Abraham, Sarah, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply your descendants. And Abraham says, I don't know how you're going to do that, God. I'm 100 years old, and my wife is 90 years old. That doesn't make any sense, all right? So that doesn't make any more sense today than it did back then, all right? So uh, if God came to you and said you're going to have a child and you're pretty close to 100 years old, you might laugh too. I don't know. Maybe your faith would be greater than Abraham's. But in that situation, he laughed and God said, no, this is what I'm going to do. And so he had to trust in the promises of God. But then here in chapter 21, verse 1, we see where God fulfills the, the beginnings of this promise where he says, the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So we begin to see the faithfulness of God in the midst of the promises of God. Now one thing that it says, God says about Isaac is that he will be an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Now everlasting, the great thing about that word and the great thing about eternity is that lasts for eternity. So that means that this covenant that God is establishing with Abraham lasts for eternity. It's lasted thousands of years. It's as good today as it was 4,000 years ago. And so this covenant that God makes with Abraham is real to us, and it's an eternal covenant. Now, chances are most of us in this room are probably not related by blood to the Israelite family. But God tells us in the New Testament that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then he grafts us into that family like grafting into a vine, taking a different form of fruit and grafting it into another form of fruit. Um, it's kind of a, a, um, a vineyard terminology. But God says when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are made part of this family, made part of this covenant, made part of this promise, made part of this eternity. And so then we need to put our faith in this God. We need to put our faith in these promises. Now God's, obviously he's not speaking simply in terms of a geographical location on our planet, but he's speaking about something that is eternal. As we read in Hebrews, we are looking forward to a land, a city that is made by God, not by human hands. Then the Lord took note of Sarah and said, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Verse two, so Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, and God had commanded him. 
Now Abraham, as God had commanded him, verse 5, now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Listen to this in verse 6. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on that day. What a great question. Sarah said, who would have thought that God would do something like that with somebody like me? And I think, and, and she's speaking from experience. She knows the decisions that she's made in the past. She knows the compromises that she's made in the past. She knows the sins that she's committed in the past. And I think so many times we believe that God could use somebody like us, but maybe we don't feel like we're worthy for God to use somebody like us. And God takes people, he takes humans, he takes people who are broken, who are sinful, he restores us to a relationship with him, with him, and he sets us on a path that he decides for us, and he leads us along the way. And sometimes we don't feel worthy, but being worthy does not change the will of God. God's will is above and beyond the flawed individuals that are in this story. So we see God said something, God is faithful to fulfill it, but then we see another example of that in Ishmael. In verse 9 it says, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. So... If you were to back up to Genesis chapter 17 again, you'd see that God also gave a promise about his son Ishmael. Because Abraham said, what about my son Ishmael? My son Ishmael is important to me. I know that I sinned and I know that I made a mistake and, and I acted outside of the will of God. I compromised with my son. He's my son. He's Ishmael. Why don't you use Ishmael to bring the promise? And God said, no, that's not my plan. My plan is that uh, you will have another son by your wife, Sarah, and she will, he will be blessed. But Ishmael, I will also take care of him. In chapter 17, verse 20, God says, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him, and I will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. So God gives Abraham a promise about Ishmael. He says, he says Abraham... Ishmael, I'm going to take care of. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of him. He's going, to, he's going to become a great and powerful nation. He's going to have 12 sons, 12 princes. And uh, Pastor Adam, he's going to talk a little bit more in the upcoming weeks about the implications of the line of, of Ishmael and how that's affected uh, history and even our culture today. But um, as we see, God cares about individuals, even people that uh, perhaps were conceived in the course of a mistake or sin or, um, or a problem or a compromise, God even cares about those lives. So we see in chapter 21, God begins to show um, a reassurance that he's going to keep his promise. So God doesn't necessarily tell Abraham, okay, I'm, just like I had Isaac born, he is born, you've seen the fulfillment in my faithfulness right before you here. Isaac is born, I told you he was going to come, he's here, but Ishmael, I'm going to take care of him, and you're just going to have to take my word for it right now. You're just going to have to take a reassurance of my promise, because Abraham comes up in a situation that's very difficult. It's kind of a, kind of a reality TV drama situation right here, because here's a man that has a wife, 
and just had a baby, and he has a maidservant whom he had a child with, and now there's some jealousy going on, and you've got two wives in the picture, or two, two ladies in the picture that are not seeing eye to eye, and one of them is complaining, and Sarah comes to Abraham and says, basically, this is what you're going to have to do. It's me or her. You need to take this woman and her son, and you need to kick her out. And so Abraham's going, whoa. And so this is a bad situation. We've seen plenty of examples of things like that, unfortunately, because of compromises that we make and mistakes and sin in our lives. But Abraham says he's, he's in a difficult spot because he cares about his son, Ishmael. He says, I don't want to kick my son out. And so, but, but then there's his wife. You know, it's me, it's me or them. And uh, so he's going, what do I do? And so God stops him and says, wait a minute. Before you make another step, I know your pattern I know what you, you do in situations like this, Abraham. You need to take notice of something. And so this is what God says. Therefore, uh, she said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son, Isaac. In verse 11, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son, because God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. So first of all, it says that Abraham was distressed. And that's a really interesting word. I would probably, if I were somehow in a situation like that, pray to God that that never happens. Um, but if I were in some kind of situation like that, I would be very distressed. Okay, that's a stressful, bad situation. But it's not really, God's not talking about stress in this particular uh, case. God looks at Abraham and he uses two Hebrew words that, or combined to make that word distressed. But those two Hebrew words basically mean to act immorally or contrary to the will of God, which means sin. And so he says right here, he says, stop, don't sin right now. Stop, don't act immorally, because I know that's the pattern of your life. I know that when you come up against difficult situations, fearful situations, maybe stressful situations, the typical response out of you is to skirt around the issue, try to make it go away, and you usually do something compromising in the process. You usually commit some kind of sin in the process, which creates more problems later on. So God says, stop, 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 stop. Abraham, before you make any decisions about this, let me help you out. I want you to trust me by faith and, I, and this is really interesting. He actually tells Abraham to let the woman and the boy go. I probably would not have made that decision. I don't know. That would have been a difficult decision, decision to send somebody out. And you have to understand the situation here. They're in a desert. They're wandering in, in kind of a, a very difficult land. And Abraham is, has, has made, built his life around protecting and providing for these people in the desert. And he knows what happens when you take a woman and a boy and you give them a jug of water and you send them out into the desert by themselves. That would be a very difficult decision for a father to make, even if, you know, the son was, you know, came as a result of a consequence. You love your children. And they're valuable. You don't just send them out into the desert. And God says, I want to make something very clear to you today. Right now, he said, this child is in my hands. And if you're going to live by faith, then you need to trust me that I'm going to take care of him. I already gave you the promise. I told you I was going to make a great nation out of him. I told you he was going to have 12 sons. We're going to become 12 great princes. So you can send him out into the desert with his mom and one jug of water. And he's going to be fine because I keep my promises. I do what I say. And you can rely on it. And so Abraham, 
He could have chosen to disobey God at this point. He could have chosen to doubt God because of his fears of what might happen to Hagar and Ishmael in the desert. And so he has to rely on a reassurance of the promise, even though he doesn't see the fulfillment of the promise. And we need that all throughout our lives as Christians. We've seen a lot of promises in Scripture fulfilled, but there's a lot of promises we've not seen fulfilled yet. For instance, I don't think anybody that's sitting here, hopefully, is dead yet. And so that means that we are looking forward to God's promises of eternal life for us. God's promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. God's promise that in the deepest, darkest places of the earth where, where we travel through life, as Psalm 139 was read today, and those deep and dark places, um, God is with us in those places, and God's going to walk with us through those places. We hold on to those promises because that's what gets us through. We hold on to the promises of eternity, of, of, of sanctification and glorification in Christ Jesus, as God walks with us in this life, we hold on to that. And and we don't necessarily see all the promises fulfilled. We have to hold on to the reassurance that God is who he says he is. God does not lie. And God does what he says he's going to do. And so Abraham, early in the morning, he took um, bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, put them on her shoulder and gave her the boy and sent him away and departed and wandered about in the wilderness. But then later on, you see God faithful again because in verse 15 it says the water in the skin was used up she left the boy under one of the bushes then she went and sat down opposite him about a bow shot away and she said do not let me see the boy die and she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept and God heard the lad crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her what is the matter with you Hagar do not fear for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation out of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God was with the lad and he grew and he lived in the wilderness, became an archer and he lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Abraham had nothing to do with that. Abraham couldn't fix that situation. Abraham didn't do anything to fix that situation. Much like many of us, if you're, if you're a man in the house, you probably struggle with the problem of needing to fix everything. Our wives constantly remind us, it doesn't need to be fixed. I'm just telling you about it, right? We have to learn to listen. And I think sometimes uh, we, we want to fix everything. And Abraham, he probably would have sinned in the process of trying to fix this situation. God says, stop, I'm gonna take care of this. God sends Ishmael and his, his mother out into the desert. God provides a well of water. God raises him up. He becomes the man who God said he was gonna be and he takes care of him. So God keeps his promises. God does what he says. And the last thing that I'd like to show you today is this. And, um, well, God is the everlasting God. That's the third truth I'd love to point out to you. And the last part of this chapter is all about another encounter that Abraham has with Abimelech. All right, in, those, in that culture, in those days, uh, people would dig wells for water and uh, they'd go all throughout the land and they'd dig for water and they'd build these wells and people would drink out of these wells and that would provide sustenance and life in the midst of the desert. And uh, so as a nation, they would have all these wells dug, but they were kind of a nomadic people. They'd move around from city to city. Sometimes cities would move or they'd rise or fall or an enemy would come and destroy a certain location. So people would just pick up and move. So sometimes wells would wind up filled up with dirt and abandoned. Sometimes they would just dry up and they'd be left and people would go away. But if there was a 
if there were visitors in the land, or if there, were a, a fam, if there was a family that decided to kind of go on a nomadic journey of some kind through the desert, and they came up against a well that was filled up with dirt, if they dug it back out and turned it into something useful, typically they were given the rights to that piece of property. They were allowed to name that well, and they were allowed to own that piece of property. So now Abraham is an alien in the promised land, but while he's there, they're digging up wells. And they're fixing all these wells. And uh, so he's gaining the rights to little pieces of property in Abimelech's land. But when he does this, Abimelech's soldiers come and they take them all away from him. And so Abraham goes back to Abimelech and says, hey, Abimelech, what's the deal? I have legal rights to all, this, to all these wells. And, and Abimelech says, I didn't know. I didn't, he says, your people have taken from me. Abimelech says, I didn't know that happened. So um, uh, I think we can make this right. And Abraham says, well, I'm going to take seven uh, seven you lambs and I'm going to give them to you as a gift. And Abimelech says, well, I don't, I don't understand why you're giving me lambs. And he says, because these are a sign that I'm telling you the truth that I actually dug these up myself. My, my people dug these up. They're ours. Um, because the, for the Israelite people, the pure spotless lambs were very valuable uh, to them because they were sacrifices before God for forgiveness of sins. And so this was kind of a covenant promise between him and, and, and Abimelech saying, I'm making a promise to you that, um, that I'm telling you the truth about this land. And Abimelech is uh, accepting it in agreement that, um, that he's giving them these wells. So these, they kind of have this little exchange where a gift is exchanged and Abimelech says, okay, you can have these pieces of property and you can have this well right here that we're talking about and you can, you can stay here. All right, so then... At the end of this story, Abraham goes to one of these wells in Beersheba. He says this in verse 32. So they made a covenant with Beersheba, and Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. A tamarisk tree was an evergreen tree. It was green all year round, and it cast a big shade. They would, um, and he planted it by the well because it was going to be a great place of refreshment. It was going to be like an oasis in the desert. And uh, it was a symbol of eternity. Uh, people viewed them as a symbol of eternity. And so he plants it by the well. And as you see in scripture, Abraham kind of makes regular visits to this place as kind of a retreat where he seeks the face of God. But here we see that God, that Abraham begins to view God and view his temporary circumstances through the lens of an eternal God. And so he goes all by himself and he seeks the face of God. And he, ta- he says, listen, he says, God, I have... I have a son. His name's Ishmael. You've given me a promise, but anything could happen to Ishmael. He could die. He could get sick. He could die. Something could happen to him. I have, I have, I have, well, I have Isaac. He's the one that's got the promise. And Ishmael, he could die. Something bad could happen to him. I have all these wells and I have an agreement with Abimelech, but Abimelech could go away. Somebody could kill him or a new king could come and our covenant would go away. He said, all this stuff that I have that I can see with my eyes is temporary, but you are eternal. And he's saying, God, I've heard your words. I've heard your promises. I'm living by faith. I'm struggling with a healthy fear of God. I'm struggling to walk by faith. But I'm remembering that you do what you say and you do what you promise. And so he's kind of putting his hands up and he's taking everything that he's struggling with and, and putting him at the feet of God saying, all this stuff is temporal and I want to look at it right now in the eyes that God is eternal and he's in control. And so he has this time alone with God uh, where he worships God And he says, all this is under control. And you realize that God kind of tested that faith where he's saying, God, I I know that everything I've got is temporary. So if you took it all away, if you even took Isaac away, I know that you're eternal God. 
and your promise is eternal and it's going to be fulfilled. And God tested that in the next several chapters where God sends Abraham up the mountain with his son and tells him to sacrifice his son. But then God saved him. And Pastor Adam is probably going to talk about that coming up as well. But we also see in chapter 26, if you were to fast forward, you would see that Isaac, his son, actually had to refight for the same wells that Abraham fought for in chapter 21, which goes to show that things that we establish are temporary. And the next generations are going to have to fight the same battles we fought. And they're going to have to fight what we fight. But praise God, we serve an eternal king of kings and lord of lords who's in control and above all of what is temporary. And even Isaac was reminded of this great God that helped his father Abraham. In chapter 26, uh, chapter 26 he says, that he's reminded, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you. I will multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and he called upon the name of the Lord. So there's Isaac being reminded of the same promises his dad was being reminded of. So God has given us an amazing challenge in his word to make sure that we live in the fear of God. We trust that he does what he says and he keeps his promises. And we need to remember that we need to take our lives, our struggles, our temporary issues to the throne of God regularly and remind ourselves And praise God for the fact that he's eternal. Some of the greatest counsel I've ever received personally has been from the Holy Spirit when I've taken all my temporary distresses and I've gotten by myself and I just told God about all of it and then I began to meditate on how eternal he is. Then it's like all that other stuff just kind of gets small and he begins to show me and remind me he's a God of his promise. So, in conclusion, the last thing I would like to do is, for, is to tell you all this so that you can go out and think that you got a really feel-good reminder about the promises of God. Because I think there's a warning here. Even though God is really all of these things that he says he is, if we don't go out and look for a healthy fear of God, it's not just going to happen. You know, it's not just going to come on us. You know, finding the fear of God means exploring the things about God that we don't fully understand. It might mean we crack open the prophets in the word of God and read all that stuff we don't understand. That'll strike the fear of God in your heart pretty quick. You read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and you begin to get a grasp of just how big and how awesome God is. You read Joshua and Judges, and you begin to see that God is the God he says he is. We need to seek God in this. And I think, um, you know, it's not just enough to know that God keeps his promises and does what he says, I think in order for that to really help us, we need to know what his promises actually are. We need to dig into the word of God and saturate our minds and our hearts with just what it is that God actually said he was going to do for you and me. That's when it will begin to take effect in our lives. It's when we worship God, we're leaning in to the throne of God. We're drawing close to the throne of God. We're going up the mountain, drawing closer to God. He says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have bold and confident access to the throne of God. Why should we stand away 
and stand afar from God? Why not draw close to God and be saturated with him? And then just like Abraham drew away from the world and drew close to the eternal God, I think regularly we need to take all this temporary stuff to the throne of God so that we can get a better lens of who, just exactly who God is. So I'd like to invite you to pray about those things, about your personal life today. Just how much fear of God do you have? And is there evidence that you truly trust in his promises in your life? And do you see your temporary issues through the lens of an eternal God? I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me and uh, just pray with me and pray for your, pray for your own heart. And if you, if you are struggling with your sin and you realize that you need forgiveness from your sin, and follow Jesus, then it comes by seeking the face of Jesus Christ. You've heard a message about God, about his holiness. You've heard a message about him keeping his promises and about how we need faith in Jesus Christ to make us part of his family. It starts by confessing him as your Lord, confessing your sin, and surrendering to him as your God. I'd like to invite you all, if you would, just stand with me and let's pray together. God, thank you. For your word, thank you for who you are. You are the God who keeps his promises. You do what you say that you're going to do. You have demonstrated your holiness and your righteousness and your majesty and your absolute authority all throughout your word. I pray that we would work out our salvation together with fear and with trembling in light of that. But God, I pray that you would also help us to find peace and comfort and trust in you as we look to the fact that you are the eternal God. And all the bad things that happen on this planet and all the things that might happen tomorrow are not going to change you. Thank you for that. I pray for the lost that might be hearing a message about you today. I pray that they... Will be, you will speak to their heart and you will draw them to yourself and draw them to salvation. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Just invite you to pray as we sing. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.